what about this? Burn, this is extremely difficult. This is one of the toughest pitches on the entire place. Well, here it comes. Oh, my goodness. Welcome to the first episode of Talking Golf with me, Hugh Moore. For many of us, the US Masters at Augusta represents the start of the golfing year. What better way to launch our show than by celebrating everything Augusta and the Masters with Paul Casey. Paul recently won the Valspar Championship and PJ Tour, which lifts him to 13th in the world and 10th in the FedEx Cup ranking. Paul, welcome. Thank you for taking the time to speak with us today. Um, yeah, my pleasure, mate. It's nice to hear you. <laughs> I know, it's a lo- I'm a long way away, but yeah, uh, loud and clear. So loud and clear. Exciting. Very exciting. Well, you're the, uh, you're the first guest on the podcast, and uh, as you know, we're celebrating all things US Masters in Augusta. I want to take you back to 2004, which was your debut year, and you're making that drive up Magnolia for the very first time. Tell us a little bit about your first impressions, how the place grabbed you, what uh, what are the things you remember most from the first year there? Um, I'm Actually, the, the first thing I remember was about a month before. I took a recce um, to Augusta about a month before, um, having never played it, knowing that I was in it. Um, as a competitor, you're allowed to play. You're allowed to turn up. I'm not sure if they changed the rules, because actually, I tend not to go back early now, because I know the course so well, but I went early to just... I mean, why wouldn't you? Yeah, you know, you're in You're in the Masters. You get to play Augusta National, uh, touted as, you know, one of the best golf courses, if not the best golf course in the world. So you know, flew in, stayed at a very average hotel, and um, and ended up getting... Uh, so let's go back. So the drive down Magnolia Lane, I mean, first of all, you've been there. Yeah. And anybody who hasn't been there, it's, um, you know, just a, a sort of... Uh, you would miss it driving past the front gate. Oh, you, you really would. Totally just you just, just hidden away right in the corner. If you're not paying attention. Yeah, just big, big bushes, big sort of bamboo and, and green bushes. Um, small little guardhouse. I think he's still there, and I should know his name. I feel it's kind of sacrilegious that I don't know this um, the security guard's name because he's the same guy who's been there for forever. And he kind of gives you the look, and he gave me the look, sort of, what are you doing? And I give him my name. And he goes down the clipboard and you just, it's that moment of you think you're never going to get in. It's like standing in front of a nightclub and your name's not on the list as a kid. And you're just like, this is going to go really badly. And he sort of, but he let me in and he goes, just follow it down, sir, and take a ride at the end. And so that's what you do. And suddenly you're on your own driving down Magnolia and it's the coolest driveway in golf. Um, It's one of the coolest driveways in the world, but it's the coolest driveway in golf. Um, 300 yards long roughly and it, it opens out and you get to see the clubhouse and the roundabout with the flowers and the flag and it's sort of um it's like disneyland for golfers and it still sticks even to this day when i drive down that driveway and you i know you've driven down that driveway with me several times it's a cool feeling um, really is. not many events yeah there's not many golf courses not many events in the world where you feel special but you feel very special and very privileged to drive down that driveway um, and I love the fact there was a period when we didn't 
get to drive down that driveway as much. You'd have yeah, to that's make right. We had, we had to, to drive, drive. Th- over the what was what's now the new driving range, didn't we? That was yes, back correct. Kind of, five, six years, maybe. Yeah, you, you still come through the front gate, but you'd hook a, you'd hook a yeah. quick right and go behind the practice, that's the old right, practice yeah. ground. But now you have to drive down Magnolia, and I think that's the tradition. One of those cool things. So I I love it. I still love it. Uh, they still let me in. Although Bare, still barely. slightly suspiciously. <laughs> um, I don't think that ever goes it, away. You're going to be stuck with that forever. What, the slight suspicion? Yeah, I think That's so. me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, going back to that first visit, again, I, you know, I'm terrible at names, I really am. But Carl, is it Jackson? Ben yep. Crenshaw's longtime caddy. Correct. His brother, his brother actually looped for me on that first ever round of golf. So my first ever practice round. I didn't know who he was. Very nice gentleman. Off I go to the first tee. No real, again, no real guidance. You feel like um, very, you know, you sort of left on your own. Out you go. There's nobody out there. Maybe maybe see a member or two and that's it. And um, I kind of feel like, what now? Should somebody announce me? Am I okay to play? Am I, are there any rules? And off we went. And I just had the most joyous day and a half there. And I learned so much that very first day. And that was just you and the caddy? Yeah, and I credit um, Carl's brother. And I should really track him down. I know he's around because I learned so much. I think when you have a first, like anything, you walk into, uh, you're buying a house. You know, people say you, you, you know within the first few seconds whether you're going to buy it or not. Or you, you see the love of your life and you instantly fall in love. And you know, you, my instant impression of Augusta was, I love this place and I know I'm going to play well around here. And thankfully, that seems, to have been that, the, uh, that seems to have carried on over the years. Yeah. Um, I think it's, like I say, one, I love it. I think it uh, also suits my game. High ball flight, I, I have the ability to turn it a little bit if I need to, right to left. It's funny, I don't get counted as a very good putter, and obviously the statistics back that up, but I am a very good touch putter. I may not make as many 15-footers as um, you know the Jordan Spieth of the world, but I very rarely get too crossed up on, on very, very fast greens. Yeah. So when these guys are not making lots and lots of 15-footers, it actually sort of plays a little bit into my hands because neither am I but I roll all the sort of 15 footers very very close and and um, that's I've I've got a theory about this that certainly in modern times as the greens have got they're just as slopey as they've always been but they're firmer they're faster I don't think you need to be an exceptional putter to do well at Augusta and the winners over the years would tend to back that up if you look at I mean last year you had Justin and uh, Sergio both who are renowned for being fairly ordinary putters and that if you look historically over the last 10 or 15 years, there's been a number of guys who've struggled with a putter who've won. Bubba Watson, Adam Scott, Bubba's won twice, uh, Sergio and Justin. I think it's a great equaliser because, as you say, the better putters, no one holds loads of 15-footers around there. Correct. As long as you don't, as long, you know, as long as you don't balls it up, you know, as long as you don't, um, you know, start racing six-footers, six-foot pass. Yeah. Um, yeah, it comes down to you have to obviously drive it very well um you have to position yourself around that golf course and take the stress off off yourself off the rest of your game i played with freddie couples last year in the first round i played with kevin now and freddie couples in the first two rounds kevin's a very good player but kevin was um you know hitting it well but maybe i don't say too aggressive but he was going for stuff and slightly getting on the wrong side of things and Freddie was wonderful. Freddie was just sort of loping around the golf course as he does, absorbing the atmosphere. People love him, as they should, because he's, he's a rock star. He had a drive right next to mine on the first hole, first round of the day, first round of the week. The pin's back right. 
and um, he hits an awful shot. <laughs> he hits one of the worst second shots I've ever seen on number one. But he misses it, middle of a green length, way left over towards the sort of ninth tee. But he's missed it in a spot where he had a very, very easy chip up the green. Yes, he yeah. had a beautiful chip, but he chips it up to three feet. I mean, it's pretty easy to chip it within 10 feet. Meanwhile, Kevin now somewhere else on the right-hand side making bogey just proceeded to play that kind of round of golf when the pin was front right on 10. Guess yeah. where Freddie missed it? He missed it pin missed, high left. Yeah. Missed the green beautifully and chipped up to a foot and, and cruised around in a very respectable you know, few under and took the stress off the rest of the game. So my point being, if you know how to play the golf course and all these guys who, you know, these take Bubba Watson, Adam Scott, Sergio won last year, they know how to play it. They yeah. know where to miss it. You don't have to hit heroic shots all the time. Obviously, it helps. Just don't miss it in the wrong spot. Don't mess up with the putting. Don't run it past six feet all the time. And I guess what? You can make a lot of birdies. Yeah. Well, the, <laughs> so, the, 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 par, the par fives are obvious chances. And yes. there's... They're, all, they're all reachable, which is rare in, in major golf nowadays. And good iron play can result in you hitting it very close. Mediocre iron play, generally you can two-putt it. But poor iron play, you're, you're struggling. But then again, I guess that poor iron play, missing in the wrong spot is poor iron play. Yeah. Good iron play is playing to the right portion of the green and if you don't hit a good one you've still got a you still got a shot i always think that's great architecture in augusta um because it doesn't matter where you hit it you've always got an opportunity yeah and um we see so many golf courses nowadays where you can you can the guy gets the wrong side of a hole uh wrong side of a slope and there's absolutely no way of pulling it off so you have to chip it 20 feet the other side and then struggle to make pass struggle to recover augusta there's always a shot now it might be incredibly difficult it might be heroic, it might be spectacular, but there's always a shot. So there's, there's great architecture there. And if you understand how it works and how it's laid out, you can use it to your advantage. And there's, I mean, there's no question that the more you go back, the better you become at playing the course. I think we've had two first-time winners in history. Obviously, the very first Masters and Fuzzy, then... Fuzzy Zella. Fuzzy, wasn't um, it? Yeah. Oh, yeah, of course, the very first one. The uh, very first one, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Obvious. Yeah, um, I would have wished that one completely. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's knowledge. I played my practice rounds in the early days, and um, I guess not so much nowadays. But I guess because I'm older. But when I was younger, so 04 being my first, I played practice rounds with Ray Floyd, with Bernard Langer, with Crenshaw, Freddie Couples. It's all these uh, fuzzy Zeller. I always used to play back nine on Wednesdays with him in, early in the morning. Yeah, I play with these guys because one, they're really cool and they've got a ton of stories, but really I play with them because I want to glean a little bit of information and they all had something and so, it was so what happens when the youngsters now want to start playing with you are you going to be uh, just as uh, open and free with your advice as the uh, as the old timers yeah. were with you yeah I've got no because they've still got to they've still got to do it yeah absolutely to, I've got no issue with that because I've always felt that it's me against the golf course does it become yeah it's me against how many players are in the field this year you know 80 something 90 guys um, and, I, and of course I want to beat them all but ultimately that's why i love golf it's for the most part it's us against the elements against the course against the architect then rarely it comes down to you one-on-one head-to-head against the opponent when it does that's when golf when golf tournaments become truly memorable you think back to watson and nicholas at at turnbury but more recently mickelson and henrik at at troon they stick in your mind because they were both playing great golf they were playing a different golf course to everyone else and they were competing directly head-to-head yeah uh, that's fantastic so Giving, you know, giving out information, which I guess could ultimately um, be detrimental to my success, I don't have an issue with because, I mean, it happens pretty rarely. Um, and I 
and people, others helped me, certainly at Augusta and in my career, so why not help others? I think it's the greatest thing you can do anyway. You you teach. I think it's the the greatest thing you can do as a a human being is to help somebody else, to teach somebody else. Couldn't agree more. So let's let's carry on the sort of theme of, of what it takes to play well there. A lot is written about how important it is to move it right to left, which certainly has been something you've historically been very good at. High right to left ball flight suits pretty much every tee shot round there. How much of an advantage do you think it is, particularly under the gun, wherein you have a lefty being able to hit big slices versus a righty trying to hit big draws? I would say it's a massive advantage. I can't I can't tame it down. It's, it's a huge advantage. Unless you're somebody naturally like a, a, a big right-to-left hitter like Rory's very, his ability here right-to-left is, is pretty yeah. epic. Yeah. Um, most guys don't have that ability. It's not very easy. It's really easy, a big slice. Yeah, particularly with modern pro, equipment. Every, every big amateur, every amateur can do it. I'm <laughs> <laughs> not, not seeing too many amateurs who have a controlled hook. Everybody's got a controlled slice somewhere in their back. Yeah. It's huge. Uh, you know, I've gone backwards and forwards with this. You don't need to hook it as much as for a right to left play, obviously. You don't need to hook it, hit it right to left as much as you may have used to. The keys have been moved so far back yeah. now. The course has become so long. And there's been so many trees that have been planted that quite often those where the hole starts to curve is now so far down from the tee box. You know, let's say it's like 270, 280. Yeah. It doesn't really matter. The ball's going to land. And if you can almost get a little bit of a, an accent hint of shape when it lands, that's and a, what you really need. A lot of those right-to-left um, right tee shots, the fairway helps you draw it as it's coming out there. Yeah. As it's landing. Yeah, it's, the only it's, one's it's, 14. Yeah. The only one's 14. 14 goes the other way. I will say this, you don't want to have a guy, a player who's predominantly hitting a left-to-right shape. My example for that would be Martin Keimer. You know, this is a guy who hits a, he just can't hit a draw. <laughs> <laughs> he's a hellish he's good result, fader, though. He's a brilliant fader as a golfer. I mean, Joe Craig, he's got two <laughs> majors to play a championship, Ryder Cup star, but he can't draw it. Um, he can't draw it consistently, and he's, I don't know, you'd have to look at his record. Uh, he's played a lot of a lot of Masters and maybe only made a couple of cuts. Yeah. How do we explain Nicholas's success there? As a renowned, I guess, a, a push fader is probably a more accurate way to describe him, but he was certainly more capable of hitting it left to right than he was of moving the other way. Why was he so good there? Yeah, the golf. The golf course was very different. He, um, pre, let's just say pre-Tiger era, um, yeah. holes like 11, 15, 17. No trees on the right side of any of those holes yeah. back then. And now those holes are very, very claustrophobic. Yeah. Um, not Again, not trying to put it down, but it's a very different examination mm. that, um, that is put in front of you now compared to the way it used to be. And even since, um, even since, I mean, 2004, your first year, uh, and I was I was there that year with you, pretty much every hole's been lengthened. Some of them are fundamentally different holes to, as I say, were 14 years ago. It's relatively recent. You look at seven, for example, yeah, which was historically, it was, a, it was a flick in there. Yeah, I'm trying to think, probably 12 and 13 would be the only yeah. two which I would say haven't significantly been increased. Maybe 10 haven't gone back that far. And there My are... goodness, I mean, one... Yeah, One used God. to come out of the pro shop and walk onto the first tee. Now you come out of the pro shop and you go about you go left about hundred yards. <laughs> What's well, the mid- uh, the middle of the old putting green now, isn't it? Yeah, um, very different. Look at my first Masters. I remember watching on TV vividly with Sandy Lyle, which I believe was '87. And when he hit yep. his two iron into the bunker and then flipped the seven iron on the green, if you look at the images of where he hit his two iron from off the tee, uh, he was just behind the road. Now that road has not moved. That road is still there. Yep. If anybody goes back now, you watch it on TV this year. Check out where the road is. Yeah, it's a, <laughs> way well, down there. Woozy um, was Woozy was blew, blew it over the bunkers with driver 
from that tee. That's brilliant. Maybe he was the first and, true and power could, player. Well, you know, I could say Nicholas was every yeah. every number one, every truly great player has you know moved the needle up, and they've usually done it because they've driven the ball drastically different to the generation before yeah. or the players before. Nicholas drove it incredibly long. He was uh, long. He was long. Um, and you look at, um, I guess maybe the exception might be Saldo, who's not a long player, but, you know, Norman was long. You look at Tiger's long, Dustin's long, Roy's long. There's going to be a generation after Dustin. Uh, you know, you know, I play with guys like Jamie Sedlowski, the long drive, two-time long drive champion, world long drive champion. I mean, this guy's got 100 regular driver, not his game, you know, 130-something mile an hour club head speed and, and carries it 340 just for you know, every day, just on average. And, I mean, um, there's going to be that jump. I've been saying this for a while now, that at some point soon there's going to be a guy who shifts it at 130. And there's already a couple out here who've, who are proper quick. The minute they learn to play the game, it becomes an entirely different game. And someone will. You can control oh, okay. that, put it in play with that. It's an entirely different game. So I think, you know, I, I haven't I haven't watched enough of Nicholas's victories around Augusta. I should probably go back. Um, I believe they're all on YouTube now. I don't, oh, is sure. that right? Did you know... I'm sure. No, I, I read somewhere it was on um, like uh, one of those, like Jeff Shackelford's blog or something. That yeah. Um, yeah, every single Masters is now on YouTube to view. And if it is, wow. I mean, it's, I need to get on it because I would, I would hazard a guess that Nicholas drove it in spots that gave him such a big advantage, or had the ability to drive it in spots. You know, if, um, 17 when there never used to be any trees down the right hand side. Players such as Bernard Langer would look at the pin position and then elect to either drive it down, sort of what is traditionally the fairway now, pretty straight yeah. towards the green, or wing it out towards the 15th fairway because there's no trees and attack the green, you're kind of eliminating that front bunker or creating a different angle to a, a back left pin, let's say, yeah. or front right pin location. Yeah. And I would hazard a guess that Nicholas probably did the same. Um, so you talk about him not lacking the ability to hook the golf ball off the tee. And again, you don't need to back then. No. Play a different kind of golf yeah, course. Very different course. There's specific skills that required that rather conveniently tend to match the way you play the game. You've stopped playing the week before majors probably five or six years ago now. Would that be a fair... fair That's a fair assessment, yeah. Yeah. Um, so you've got this week back home in Arizona. What are you doing? What's your, what does your preparation entail? Is it anything different to preparing for, I don't know, Valspar a couple of weeks ago or preparing for a British Open? Are you doing anything out of the ordinary to prepare for Augusta? Um, for the most part, it's predominantly the same um and the reason for now taking weeks off before um is really just an energy thing trying to be as physically ready as i possibly can and mentally and therefore mentally fresh mm -hmm. going into the into the majors mm -hmm. the only one i i tend to not uh, abide by that rule would be the pga us pga because obviously the wgc yeah you don't um, have the events is the week before yeah. and, and it's kind of very similar i must admit there are sometimes bridgestone which is played at the uh, firestone course in akron Ohio. It's tougher than the PGA course. Yeah, it can be brutal. <laughs> you, it can be brutal. Uh, you know, they. I've obviously won Houston, and it's a great event, and it's going on this week. Um, it does a very good job of trying to prepare you for Augusta. Ultimately, nothing's like Augusta. You just can't. You can't replicate what you get in, in Augusta, Georgia. So, take the week off. Charge the batteries. I've been traveling a lot. I've been on the week on the road for four weeks. Um, you know, a lot going on, obviously the victory in Tampa, which was great, but emotionally there's highs and then there's sort of the, the crash afterwards. Mm -hmm. So this week recharge, a lot of working out, a lot of ball striking, and then an infinite amount of putting and chipping and things I do differently. 
I, I spent yesterday hitting a lot of just kind of ropey hook three woods to, <laughs> for the T-shirt on 10, for the T-shirt on 13, maybe for the T-shirt on 14, exactly what we talk about. Yep. I'll spend a lot of time chipping, trying to find um, areas to chip at the golf courses that I play around here in Arizona into the grain. So I work on quality of strike. I have been known, don't tell, don't tell any greenkeepers, but I have been known to chip off green. Yep. To again, work on the quality of strike. Not taking a deer hurt, but working on, uh, you know, ball first, uh, nice clean contact, because chipping is so difficult around Augusta. They mow everything towards the player for, for reasons, obviously, to slow the golf ball down off the tee, to, to negate, kind of to eliminate driving distance as much as possible. Um, it obviously makes the quality of strike very, very difficult for the iron shot off the fairway or the chips around the green. But also, it looks cool on TV. So when the camera's at the green, looking back towards the tee, they've got that down grain, nice, yes. shiny, light green view. And when you're on the tee looking towards the green, it's the other way around. It's kind of the dull into the grain. And it's actually really difficult to look at the fairway definition sometimes. You are listening to the Talking Golf Podcast. To hear future episodes, remember to click subscribe in your favorite podcast directory. And if you're enjoying what you're hearing, please take the time to rate us. You can follow us on Instagram by searching Talking Golf Podcast or contact at Humar on Twitter. So it's little tricks like that. Um, finding slopey putts, working on speed. Is there anything else? I have put a rescue in the bag. I have to admit it. I put it in in Tampa. So I've been working with the rescue the last couple of days. Uh, again, I'll hit shot. The second shot on two is, and the second shot on 13 are possibly two of the most extreme side hill or downhill or combination side of downhill lies or even mm. tens another one that you'll ever face on a golf course and so working on shots off uneven lies is another one trying to get the get the, the strike down and get the trajectory correct to then hold the greens so i yeah i do do a lot of stuff the rest of the game just stays the same just go out there and hit it well and putt well and hit bunkers well but 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 it's yeah, a little trick to, to playing a, an open championship for example you'd you'd put extra attention into the skills you'd require at Carnusti, for example, this year. Correct. In your, in your, yeah, your you'd, week you'd, before. You'd work in, in work in shots out of pot bunkers. You'd work on maybe a, a bullet two iron, like a driving iron. Um, wind play. Yep. You know, if it starts blowing, if it gets really, really windy here in Arizona, I'll go out there and I'll purposely practice in a in a left to right wind, an awful left to right wind with the left wind off my left shoulder hard. Yep. And trying to work the ball back into it to... Or what happens if I cut it? How much will it move? Yeah, I'd, I'd do some knock-down six irons and five irons, pretending I'm hitting 150 yards into a 30-mile-an-hour game. Yeah, well, I'll do all that stuff. Um, so slight, slightly left-field question. You said, I think it was 2000, was it six or seven you won in Houston? Maybe a little later. Uh, uh, 2009. Two, okay, I'm definitely getting old. So 2009, you win in Houston, obviously first win PJ Tour. Did that mess up your chances of playing well at Augusta the next week? Oh, I played horribly the following week. <laughs> One of my worst performances. Uh, I've realised I'm really crap at parlaying a victory into the into playing well for the following week. So developing yeah, momentum isn't whenever. something in the Casey game. <laughs> no, I'm really good at finishing kind of top fives in a row or top tens in a row. Last year, I had a couple of back to back runner runners up in in the in the FedEx Cup playoffs, and or maybe it was a year before. I don't know. I'm I'm fine at that kind of stuff, but for whatever reason, yeah, I'm clearly a, an emotional 
yeah, a bit of a pleb when it comes to um, turning one victory into another, which makes, I think, guys who can do that, I think it's amazing. Because I've never been able to do that. Remarkable. Um, just the, the standard yeah, I, I that feel, players can churn out week after week, some players can, is, just astounds me. Yeah, I think, I think to say, top fives or, or runners-up, it's not as big a deal. It's not as much of a drain. Win after win after win. Going back to Tiger, that's just amazing what he was constantly oh. doing. That's uh, it. It didn't matter. So playing with Tiger, you've fortunately or unfortunately, probably a little bit of both, you've basically spent your entire career competing against Tiger from the moment you set foot in Arizona to now. So you've seen him at his very, very best. You played collegiately against him and played, I think... Well, seen... I, I didn't. I was a little bit... He's a little bit older than me. I just okay. missed him collegiately. So when I turned up in Arizona State, which was nine, January 1997, okay. my very first months in town here as part of the golf team part of arizona state golf team we did the radios for, i'll give you a quick story we did the radios for espn at the phoenix open so that all that entailed was calling in the order of play really difficult task you know kind of <laughs> play first so you radio it back to whoever's in charge they radio it to the tv camera guy so he knows which player to go to first very very simple and i'm out there with um a guy called jason housey who's now working for taylor Maid. Uh, on the PGA Tour building clubs and we're running around and we've got Tiger's group and I, whatever day it was I can't remember but he's playing with Omar Urusti yep. so we're having a great time because we know the order of play is going to be well it's going to be Omar first and then Tiger because he's hitting it like 40 yards past him so we're just wandering around watching this golf it's fantastic and we get to 16 yep. and I stand on the left side of the tee just right behind him and, uh, and Omar Urusti gets up first and he hits it to about 3 feet and the crowd goes bananas um absolutely mental before the days of sky boxes on 16 at um at tpc scottsdale uh, but there's probably more people back then like a good i'm gonna not don't want to exaggerate there's a good 10,000 seems like a good sort of 10,000 people around the hole and then tiger steps up and holds it <laughs> i was there for the hole in one <laughs> i've been there a month i mean the beer cans are flying it's the loudest thing still to the start I've ever heard on the golf course. Um, so yeah, so I just missed him in college, but you know, as soon as I as soon as I got here, I got to see the Tiger Mania, and then obviously turned pro uh, in two thousand, yep. late two thousand, and then that was it. Playing with him and you, after you I seem, kind of moved up the world rankings. You seem to have been drawn with him quite a lot at Augusta, particularly. Yeah, there was one year I played in the first three rounds. Yeah, the year Zach uh, won. Yeah, then he, yes. Was it the year Zach won? God, that was a cold year. That was the coldest year I've ever... It was awful. Yeah, what's the question then? How good was he? <laughs> oh, how good goodness. is he? He's, he's unbelievable. I don't have an issue saying that now. I think when you're, when you're young and you're trying to... Or younger, uh, you know, less mature, immature, you go, you don't want to admit... You're like, no, 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 I, yeah. I reckon if, you know, I play my best golf game, you know, what was, what was the Polter quote? When I play my best, it's just going to be me and me and Tiger. I love that one. I wonder, um, if, I wonder if he regrets that, that now. No, he doesn't. It's Ian. He's great. I love Ian. Um, we all say that in our minds. You want to believe that, but it's one of those things. I mean, I'll be honest. You see some of the stuff he did, and I hope he will continue to do. It's unbelievable. It's freaky. He had a... Not only does he have every shot I've ever seen, uh, an ability to pull it off under pressure as well, he made stuff happen that was really kind of freaky. Um, it sounds a bit bizarre, but he had such a will, a desire, a belief that things were going to happen that they did. Balls yeah. would disappear into trees and they would yep. fall out in the middle of the fairway. And um, it's almost, you know, almost creating what happened. You know, he's got the universe aligning 
and the belief and it's like pure creation happening in front of you and so it's the freakiest stuff brilliant and it, well, he you fundamentally, know, and fundamentally changed the game of golf yeah never seen anything like it so having played with him in his prime which i don't regret not at all my only my only regret is that I want current generation to see what he was doing to everybody on the golf course when he was playing his best. Because yeah. I, d I think that the current generation is starting to see Tiger make his, his comeback, and they've seen some pretty good stuff. And we saw some comments not that long ago, I think it was some guys in like LA going, you know, the crowd's unbelievable, it must cost, it must cost Tiger you know, a shot around having to put up with this, you know, the hysteria in the crowds. And I'm thinking, mate, that's what it was like for... 18 years or however long it was when he was in his prime. Yeah. I mean, every week, every day. He hasn't had a shot in competitive golf without that environment, without that around him. No, and so even more so, the, like I say, the ability, the crazy things that happened, but then under that kind of scrutiny. Yeah, I, again, you don't know. You don't know what Nicholas did in his prime and how it yeah. was, and you see footage of some of these greats you see the, the the way the fairways are aligned when you know hogan was playing sneed was playing jones different you can't com uh, i can't tell you that you know the greatest that's ever been but my goodness me. yeah he's one of, he's one of the um, top two he's a hero i mean he's, yeah. he's cool i don't mind saying that and so when i beat him the other day <laughs> i'm so happy because it's like finally got one up on you um <laughs> after 20 years had, of trying I've had some, yeah 20 years of time i had some great moments though it was it was wonderful to play you take the distractions and put them to the side because sometimes it was very difficult to play with him the great thing is there has never been any gamesmanship with tiger he's he is a sportsman he's a gentleman will he go out of his way to make it easy for you no not at all but he's not going to do anything that crosses the line there's no mm -hmm. there's no gamesmanship yeah. but he'd be, he'd be fully aware that if he taps in his two-foot putt that all of a sudden the, the throng of 5,000 people following our group would just walk off to the next tee. I mean, he's fully aware of that, yeah. but he doesn't care. <laughs> but I, there's been a couple of moments where, and one of them was at Augusta, where uh, just funny things, I say, because I have a good rapport with him on and off the golf course. I think it was about the third round one year at Augusta. And on number 12, he hits it in the water. Actually, I don't know, remember who teed off first, but he hit it in the water. He suits it on 12. And I, hit, I always hold my tee shot about three or four inches away from the hole. It was a front left pin position. And it was just, just one of those kind of moments where uh, as he's dropping the ball and trying to figure out the yardage with DV, I kind of yelled back to him, Tiger, do you, you mind if I just finish this out for birdie? And he gives me the stare. <laughs> kind of the FU stare. <laughs> um, so he tapped in. I got a grin on my face. He hits him. And, and, and now he's got a really difficult shot. And he hits a glorious pitch uh, to about six feet, holds it for a brilliant bogey because it could all go horribly wrong yeah. at that moment. And kind of, you know, walks up the hill and gives it kind of an F-U-K-C kind of thing. And then sort of continues to play the back nine, the rest of the back nine brilliantly and, uh, and beats me. But it's just, it's fun like that. You can have a bit of banter with him. You know, he likes a joke. He likes to have a laugh. And I'm glad I've been in that environment several times to, to experience it firsthand. Yeah, well, I, say, I, I remember... I guess it was the same year that they were talking about 2007. And I don't think I'd ever watched Tiger play. I'd watched him hit balls. And first round, he he was, he was hit it everywhere. I mean everywhere. And it was cold as hell, bouncy as hell. And I think he knocked it around in something like 72 or 73, hitting it all over the place and, and walking off afterwards thinking, that is the single best round of golf I'm ever going to see. Because he had no right to break 80. Yet he managed to find a way to, to work it. Just he had the shots he needed to get out of trouble. And he was so good at managing 
where to play the course from when he got into trouble. Remarkable. I, I hope he hangs yeah, around for Andy. a lot longer, and I hope he wins again because the game of golf is definitely richer because of him. I think he will. Uh, I, I really do. What I saw in um, not so much in LA, he obviously struggled there, but then you know, but you can't judge a guy on you know kind of first week back. Um, Honda was you know better, and Tampa. I mean, there was some there was wow. some really good stuff. I mean, nowhere near what he's capable of. <laughs> and it's the thing, nowhere near what he's capable of, and you know, guys yeah, still finish second. Up, so. Yeah. Against a good field. Um, he's been, it was a good field. So, no, I think he will win. I really do. And I want him to win. Yeah. Obviously, I'd, I'd be nice if it was a week where I'm not there. But um, <laughs> I, th- I think you, so broke cool. a, you broke a lot of hearts in Tampa by, uh, by, by beating him, I think. Well, Wiesberger, Bernd Wiesberger came up to me, and the Austrian's quite funny. For anybody who doesn't know him, he's a funny guy. He came up to me on the putting green in Austin the other day, and he goes, how does it feel to be the guy that shot Bambi? <laughs> <laughs> Ah, beautiful, beautiful. So, when when I, you I don't regret it, but no, well, it makes it makes it more memorable for everyone. So, when when are you heading down to Augusta next week? Are you go down Monday, or are you going down over the weekend? No, I go down Sunday. Um, go down Sunday, uh, but I don't overdo it. Um, in years past, I've played. Nine holes, I think, on Monday, nine on Tuesday, nine on Wednesday. There's just no reason. Practice rounds now take longer and longer, unfortunately. Guys guys want to try and hit every single putt out there and every single shot. Yeah. But, um, yeah, go down, taking the family down. We do the usual, rent a house, uh, have a good experience. I'm not sure if I'm going to do par three yet. The par three is getting incredibly difficult to get a tee time early. <laughs> and everybody wants to reasons. play early. And, yeah, and because I get there late, tee time sheet's already filled up. I mean, I usually register sort of mid-morning on a Monday, and the tee time sheet's completely full. So we'll, we'll see. I've got, um, I had Fitzpatrick and Tyrrell wanting to play the par three. So I said if they get down there really early and they get a tee time, put my name down. And then I might take Lex out there. Oh, awesome. so my little, uh, Lex is three and a half, my little boy yeah. three and a half. So it will be perfect wavelength for Tyrrell. The two of them can walk <laughs> around and talk. <laughs> uh, I'm, I like not sure, I'm not sure who that's harsh on, but <laughs> uh, yeah, probably it's, it's harsh on Tiro. I like Tiro. <laughs> I mean, I played with him in um, I played in the Eurasia Cup, but it was brilliant. I really like his golf game. Oh, he's he a hell of a player. I love isn't he? love his mentality. Um, love the way he's just all or nothing. Oh, he's barking. I mean, it, you know, it's difficult because he's uh, you know he doesn't come across doesn't necessarily come across great on TV. He's, at the end of the day, it's it's slightly frustrating watching him because I mean, I've watched him since he was playing junior golf, and he's an absolute angel in comparison to the way he was then. But he's it's it's not the person it's not his real personality. He's not as chippy no. and aggressive and angry as he appears to be in the golf course, and he can really really play. Yeah, he can. So we'll really see. Play. So I may uh, yeah maybe par three, uh, but also I've not played the par three for a long time because because you don't want to win it. <laughs> Yeah, that is the curse. <laughs> and um, I figure, what better way to not have an ability to win it than if then just don't play? Then you're then you're fine. So you're you're stood so you on the, ni- the, the ninth tee of the par three with uh, with Lex walking around with you, and you're six under and leading by two. What do you do? I don't know. See, I, part of me is I'm torn. Part of me just goes stick it in the water and walk off. The other part of me goes, why don't you try and hold it, shoot eight under, and be the first, and then go and win the tournament, be the first guy to win both and break the curse. So punchy. I don't know. Okay. Casey, punchy. Although Costas, um, Peter Costas, my coach, he, he threatened me. He said, don't you dare win it. <laughs> <laughs> not sure what he could do. I guess change my grip. Uh, yeah. I, I'm not sure I believe in, well, I believe in a lot of things. I don't know about the, the curses. I quite like a curse in sports. So, Well, this is certainly one that has, uh, 
It's not even got close to being broken yet, has it? Mm, like, no. Podrake was, no, it hasn't. I'm trying to think. There was someone who got close a couple of years ago, but it's a great event, though. I think it's. I do think it's awesome. I think it, it, everything about that week is so cool. It really is. It, it's I such it. a unique place. Everything about it is unique, and it, it is, and it's. it's you, you feel giddy. You feel like it's sort of a child when you're there, you know. And it gets a, it gets a little bit of criticism, you know. It's a it's a private, but ultimately it's a. Yes, there are a lot of rules, manicure to within an inch of its life, but ultimately this is a private club. They can do what they want. They're entitled to do exactly what they want, exactly. And just to... I think this drive chip and putt thing that they've got going with the kids I think is brilliant. Amazing, yep. Um, they, don't, they don't have to do... They don't have anything to try and expand golf and make it, you know, go above and beyond to to do their bit to enhance the game of golf. And I, I, don't, I don't like the phrase, but kind of grow the game. But they do being the way they are in, enhances it and, in, and people who don't watch golf watch the Masters Augusta and the so Masters cool. grows the game courtesy of its existence people want Correct. to the amount of people who don't play the game will watch Augusta because it's Augusta it's that special yep. it's that unique I it's agree. that different and as golfers I think we've seen a lot of uh, comment from Rory and Justin Thomas over the course of the last few weeks about fan behaviour one of the most fabulous things about Augusta is that the fans behave like golf fans. And I'm, I'm not much of a traditionalist, but when it comes to behaviour on the course from spectators, I'm, I'm a real traditionalist. Augusta gets it right. They do. It's, it's interesting seeing grown men um, slightly scared of yeah. doing anything wrong. I think it's- yeah. You get told off for sitting down, you get told off for walking too quickly. And, there's, and it's not marshals that are telling you to do it, it's policemen. <laughs> It's fantastic. Yeah. Proper it, security guards. Yeah, as a, it's the only event that I'd say there's only two events where you feel like as a golfer, I mean, golf is, you know, okay, it's a niche sport. It's, um, I love golf. I think it's cool. But it, most of uh, most of the public out there, most people would say golf's not cool. But there's two events where I feel like a rock star playing golf. And, you know, yeah, we play in some big environments, you know, the Open Championship, the U.S. Yeah. Uh, Players Championship was great, 17 mega but the Masters and the Ryder Cup are the only two where you feel really special. I mean, it's something different. Now, the Ryder Cup's a whole nother kettle of fish because you're, you're bricking yourself and it's, it's a lot of pressure. and mm-hmm. it's a, That's a whole different world, a um, whole nother level. The Masters, you feel like a rock star. You stand on that first tee, everybody's watching you. You mm. know, nobody's looking at their phones or chatting to their mates and drinking too much beer and being ob- obnoxious. Um, yeah, no, they're true. focused on you. Yeah. Those people are there because of, you know, the golf course, the history, who's won it in the past, and the, and the golfers. And it doesn't matter if it's a multiple, you know, a, a, one of the greats, like a, like a Fred Couples, or it's a rookie, his very first time to, yeah. to the mask. They have the respect. They, they, they'll, they'll give that player the respect and watch, and they know the shot, and they know it's a good shot or a bad shot, and they'll applaud. And, yeah, it's really cool. You feel like a star when you're on that property as yeah. a player. Yeah. What's, so, what's your, what's your however, take on on behaviour at other PJ Tour events? Is that something that bothers you, or are you reasonably uh, comfortable with it? It's tricky. Um, it's uh, does it happen? Yes. Uh, it's very small incidents. Um, it's such a minuscule percentage of the of the crowd. Um, it's a fraction. Yeah. It's uh, ultimately. I said the other day we've we're kind of we've created this a little bit ourselves. Uh, golfers and the tours have created this ourselves you look at something like the Ryder cup i mean let's i might as well use rory as an example i I read rory's comments the other day but i could say rory your behavior at hazel team you know 
hyping people up, sort of igniting that atmosphere and crowd, which was brilliant golf, by the way, against Patrick Reed. It was mm-hmm. phenomenal. It was so cool. Uh, although we lost. You, you know, hang on, it's like pot kettle black. Hang on a second. Yes. You're doing one thing and saying another. So what is it? Does there need to probably be a little bit more security? Yes. Do pe- should people yell in before the player hits the ball? Not at all. Do yeah, I tolerate absolutely. it? No. Should yeah. they be kicked out for that? Yeah, probably. Mm-hmm. But um, there's a lot of raucous stuff going on. Alcohol's part of sports as a spectator. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know any sporting event that I go to um, where I don't drink. <laughs> <You know? laughs> apart uh, from I the do. ones you're playing in. I think it's, apart from the ones I'm playing in. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes I'd like to drink. But um, <laughs> yeah, so I don't know. It's difficult. I don't, the thing is, I don't have a solution for it. So I, haven't, I haven't commented too much on it because I don't have a solution. A little, bit of ed- little bit of education, a little bit more security. That's yeah. kind of it. But I, I think... I think our sports, and this is, again, we've gone through waves of our sport is um, on the decline, numbers are, are dwindling, and yet we then, when we do have big crowds and it gets a little bit out of hand, we, we don't like it. Yeah, we we're complain. telling them off for well, behaving well, badly. Which, well, which one is it? Because hmm. so, although I'm a traditionalist, and I, as you said, I love like, going back to Augusta, what everything Augusta does and stands for, you know, it's a private club, they can, they can do it, green jackets, the rules, hmm. even we, you know, we, we can't be caught with you know, mobile phones around and things like that. But I'm also one of those guys, that if you and I decided to grab, you know, a golf club and, and go play street golf down the middle of St. Andrews late at night, you know, obviously not damaging any vehicles if we can help it, I'd call that golf. You know, yep. top golf is golf. Fabulous. Um, fantasy yep. fabulous. league is golf. Yeah, I, I love all that stuff um, because that's how I started. You yep. know, back garden chipping into a bucket. That was golf. Yep. Just because it wasn't a golf course doesn't mm-hmm. mean it wasn't. Doesn't you need know, to be 18 so, hours stroke play to be golf. Not at all. Hmm. No, I'm a, I'm a big believer in that, and I think it's in uh, we've we've recorded a podcast of Martin Slumbers, who's had some had some very interesting comments on that, and it's it's fascinating to see that the RNA, who are sort of theoretically one of these very traditional, very staid organisations, they appear to be pretty much the leaders now in in regenerating the game. Some great ideas out there. Well, as as they should. Mm. I mean, I hate. Yeah, to, I agree, hundred percent. You know, um, you know, you, you take you take the tours around the world, the European tour, PGA tour, uh, and other tours. They 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 can be the face of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what people tune in and watch, and and we have an obligation as players to do our best and portray the the right image. But you you can't expect the tours to come up with, and the European tours doing some cool stuff. I'll give P- Keith Pelly a lot of credit. He's come up with some cool stuff, sixes and, and the shot clock golf and stuff like that. But they shouldn't necessarily be the ones come up with these ideas. No, I agree. That, I think should, that, be, yeah. that should be a USGA and, a, and an RNA. So I applaud Slumbers um, for doing that and, le- and leading the way. And it, I mean, it's interesting that the uh, the golf sixes thing, which I've, I've had this debate with a few people, that was outside of the majors, the best golf event I went to last year because it was kids, families, no one wandering around with a 25 year old Pringle sweater on. It was a proper, it was a sporting event. It wasn't a golf event. And <laughs> What's wrong with a geometric George sweater? Come on. Uh, I had I had several in my time, all of which I've made I a, do, great, a great effort to get rid of. It does make me laugh, though. Other sports rarely do the spectators dress up all the way. They might have an ounce of clothing that resembles the sport that they're witnessing. You might wear um, a football jersey to a football match. I think that's fair play, you know, fair play, for lack of a better term. But you don't go full kit, okay? No. There's even a, I think there's even an Instagram and a Twitter um, hashtag with, for that. With a glove um, hanging out your back pocket while you're watching golf. Correct. Uh, <laughs> so you don't, it's fine to wear a golf shirt, wear a golf hat. But when these guys, when people turn up in full golf get-up, even the shoes, 
Yep. I just, yeah, I have a hard time with that. I mean, well, you wouldn't uh, go to Formula One in a, in a helmet, would you? You wouldn't go to uh, wrestling dressed up in your wrestling shorts or something. Yet, <laughs> yet another would. thing that makes this wonderful sport unique. Maybe they all think they're going to get a tea time. Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, Paul, thank you. You've, uh, we've, ta- we've taken more than enough of your time. Obviously, very best of luck next week. Uh, we'll all be pulling for you. Uh, don't want to get in the way of your preparation, your practice uh, anymore. I look forward to watching you progress next week and hopefully have a chat at some point soon. My pleasure. Hugh, thank you very much, mate. Stay well. Thank you. You've been listening to episode one of the Talking Golf podcast. This week's episode featured PGA Tour professional Paul Casey. It was hosted by European Tour coach Hugh Marr and produced by Matt Gore of Icon Business Media. Tune in to part two of our Masters Week special from Thursday the 5th of April where Hugh talks to specialist putting coach Phil Kenyon.